0: Our sermon text comes from John chapter 13. It's probably a very familiar text to most of you. Um, It's uh, where Jesus is going to wash the feet of the disciples. Um, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. If you want to turn there uh, in your Bibles, or it's also printed for you as well uh, in the bulletin. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. If you would please pray with me. (coughs) Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it proclaims to us, that though we are great, great sinners, and our sin is really big, Jesus is so much bigger than our sin. And your forgiveness is so much bigger than our sin, Lord. We pray that your word would speak afresh and anew to us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're kind of dropping right in, right in in the middle of the book of John, and and we've tried to sort of, uh, with the worship service today, kind of give glimpses of what's going on in the book of John, from chapter 1 to chapter 6 to the high priestly prayer in chapter 17, and uh, now coming back to John 13. But we're at a real big turning point in John's gospel. Because it's at this point that, that Jesus is is sort of actively turning and setting, setting his face toward the cross, toward the work that he's going to do on the cross. And the next four chapters, um, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, so that's actually like five chapters, are pretty much happening within a 24-hour span. Um, so it's kind of uh, immediate stuff going on here. And all of that stuff hinges upon these first couple of verses that we read here in chapter 13 now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end that's, that's kind of what everything that's going to be said for the next five chapters is going to hinge on is that reality that truth that we see there Growing up, I had the, the, the privilege uh, and the opportunity to actually spend time and get to know my great-grandparents. Uh, I know children today don't often uh, really have that opportunity, but I was, I was blessed to have that opportunity with several of my great-grandparents, in fact. The two that I got the longest time to spend with uh, were my grandparents on my dad's mom's side. So my grandmother's side on my, on my dad's side. And their names were Maisie and Arden Williams, uh, and they actually lived right over here behind Dills Market, where Dills Market used to be. Uh, that's, that, that's where they lived. When I was about 10 years old, um, it came to my attention, and I don't know if it had been going on beforehand or not, um, that my, uh, my great-grandfather was uh, beginning to have a, a, a lot of memory lapses, um, and uh, he was beginning to show some, some early signs of, of Alzheimer's. Um, and, uh, but not only did his mind uh, begin to get, begin to deteriorate and to go away, his body very quickly um, det- t- deteriorated as well too, very fast. Um, and I can remember thinking at about the age of 10 or 11 um, that he didn't have much longer. Uh, things were things were really really hard on him. Um, he couldn't even move on his own anymore. And by that time, he was pretty much bedridden, and he basically had to be carried anywhere um, that he needed to go to use the bathroom, um, whatever it may take. But as many of many of you know, it ultimately takes Alzheimer's a long time to take its full toll on the body. Um, So my great-grandfather dealt with this disease in sort of its full-blown stage of physical and mental deterioration for about four years, as I remember correctly. So about four years, he was basically an an invalid, his bedroom. During those four years, I I watched my great-grandmother, we called her Mimi, care for her husband's every need, never left his side, Not a meal went by that she didn't feed him. Not a day went by that she didn't bathe him. Make sure he was clean. Make sure he he had the opportunity to use the bathroom. There wasn't a moment that went by that she didn't attend to his every need. And and, and the the thought of putting him into, into a nursing home to receive care was not an option for her. She was going to take care of her husband. That was her husband. And she was going to take care of him no matter what it took. She was going to sacrifice all of her desires, all of her wants, all of her needs to make sure that he was taken care of and that he was comfortable. And there were even times that we as the family thought to ourselves, she's, she's going to pass on before he is. Like this is going to wear her body out faster than it's wearing his body out. And that she is, she, she's going to die before him. She was fully committed to loving her husband to the very end. Whether that end was his life or that end was her life, she was fully committed to that. Now in our text today, we see that Jesus was willing and ultimately did give up everything to love his own to the very end. In so many different ways. He he, he gives it up and even, even leaving from the Father... And coming to earth and taking on flesh and blood and, and dwelling with sinners and giving that up. But much more than that, He is he's going to turn His face toward the cross and He's going to give up His life and He's going to die a death that He doesn't deserve so that His people will be loved to the very end. Now for my Mimi, it took time and strength and her energy. But for Jesus... For Jesus, it took his his own life. And it took him being even separated from the Father. Becoming sin, even though he was no sin. Even though he knew no sin. So that we might become God's righteousness. And we see those first two verses that, that everything else hinges upon. And, and we see that Jesus loves us to the very end. And what we're going to see in the rest of our passage today is that because of that, we should desire to be more and more conformed to His image. And we should do that by, and this is, this is a pattern for the life of the church, if you will, confessing our sins uh, and trusting in Him and by serving one another. And by serving one another. The first thing that we're going to talk about is confessing our sins and placing our trust in Him. You see, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and, And he's setting his face toward the cross. And he calls his disciples together uh, before the feast of the Passover. And in this act of service of washing their feet, he he foreshadows the work that he is going to ultimately do on the cross. Um, And the text also tells us that the the plan for, for his betrayal has already been set in motion. That Judas is going to betray him. And Jesus knows this. He knows this. So he sets his mind toward the work that he'll do on the cross. And he foreshadows it with a humble act of service to his disciples to wash their feet. Now, in order to kind of understand the humility of Jesus here, we've got to understand the, the culture during his time. Okay? Because washing the feet of, of a guest was, was a duty that was given to the lowliest of servants. Like, that was, that was what the lowliest of servants did, was wash the feet of the people who were coming in to, to visit into, into the home and uh, so we've got to sort of ask ourselves the question why would Jesus do this why would he why would he stoop to the level of the lowliest servant to wash the feet of these disciples well in washing their feet he shows them the depths of his servitude for them it symbolizes the work that he's preparing to do to go forward to do on the cross. The foot washing is a foreshadow to the greater work that Christ will do on the cross. And that work is a once and for all work. It's a, it's a once and for all, done, finished work. And we see this in Christ's interaction with the, with the Apostle Peter. Look back at me with verses uh, 8 through 10. And we see something else here as well too that we'll, uh, that we'll tackle. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. You see, Christ tells Peter that the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But he's completely clean. You see, Jesus is explaining to him that the work that he's going to do on the cross is a once and for all work to be done. Not something that will need to be repeated again. It's an ultimate sacrifice that he is going to make. And Jesus is telling Peter that the bathing that he will accomplish on the cross for his people will make them completely clean. (coughs) Give them the ability to stand justified before a holy God It shows us that Christ's work is a finished work. Now, Jesus has already warned Peter that he won't understand what Jesus is doing right now in verse 7. He's already said, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now, but but ultimately you will. And we see that Peter doesn't understand in his response, don't we? Kind of in classic Peter sort of style, he becomes extremely exuberant and even corrects Jesus, doesn't he? He says, Lord... Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Matthew chapter 16 gives us a a, a glimpse of Peter's character and his personality as well, and the things that Peter really struggled with. His knack for correcting the Lord Jesus just after he's, he's confessed the truth of who he is with his mouth. You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, he says in Matthew 16. But Peter seems to have this disconnect between his confession and where he's really kind of placing his trust. And once again in, in our text here today Jesus kind of has to quench the overzealous reaction of Peter and explain to him the meaning of what he's doing. You see Jesus is showing Peter in this moment that the work that he'll do on the cross will be a complete work. And at the same time in washing his feet He shows Peter the need to continually reevaluate our lives and confess our sin as Christians we stand right before God because of what Jesus has done but the gospel always calls us and compels us to come back to that model of confessing confessing our sin because though we are children of God we still live in this broken world in this world where, where we sin and where people sin against us as well too And so it's a pattern of calling us back to confession. And and it's also a pattern of assuring us of the love that God has shown us in Christ and that it is a once and for all act. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can do. It has been done for you. You stand right before God and that should compel you to live a life of confession and continually placing our hope and trust in the Lord. I've kind of... I've seen this tendency in my own life. I, I resonate with, with, with Peter quite a bit. Um, very ready to confess Jesus for who he is and to proclaim that, and yet at the same time reticent to really trust in that in, in my own life. And the sad thing is, uh, to be honest with you, I saw a pattern of this while I was in seminary. I know of all places where you're going to, to study to... Uh, Bring the truth of God's word to God's people. Um, it's often in those in those places that you that you really find the depths of your own sinfulness and, and, and your own need um, for Jesus. And, and it happened to me about every semester. Actually, I would work so hard throughout the semester. Um, I had a job where uh, I was I was working about three different jobs um, and going to school full time. We had children. And I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked myself to the bone. Um, and, And ultimately, it would be to the point of exhaustion because the week after finals, pretty much every semester after our first year in seminary, I would just get knocked out sick for a week. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't get off the couch. Just totally, utterly debilitated. God saying... You need to rest. Yes, you have confessed me for who I am, the living and true God, but you failed to place your trust in me in many areas in your life. You failed to trust me and not rest, not take the time to rest and recoup and recharge, but you just continually work yourself and work yourself and work yourself and work yourself. Thinking that 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 somehow it's all on you, that you you got to be the one to do it because if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it, and so you're not really trusting in me in that. You're not taking the time to to rest when I've called you to rest, when I've called you to rest one day in seven to take that time out and to actually rest. And so, by the grace of God, he he. He puts those things in front of us to recognize them for what they are and to call other people to try and help hold you accountable to those things. Jesus' love and service reaches to the work that he accomplishes on the cross. And it reaches down into the depths of our own hearts and it convicts us of our sin. And this happens when we come to Christ understanding that we are sinners in need of God's grace. To save us from the bondage of our sin. But we also see in the work on the cross that it causes us to a, a lifestyle of continual confession. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, really genuinely seeking to, to put the sin in our lives to death. Through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit, it chastises us and it grows us in grace. It says... You need to trust me here. You need, you need to rest. You don't need to work so much. You need to take some time to rest and recharge, to be with your family, to love them. Justin has told me um, that from, I think it's from David Sinclair, he said, um, take care of your family, let Jesus take care of the church. The church is Jesus' bride. And he will take care of her. And so in my own life, I've, I've seen that need to set aside time and to try and rest. And if I'm honest, I don't do as well as, as I hope, as, as the gospel calls me to. But in this foreshadowing event here, we see that Christ shows us the work that he's going to do. And it's going to completely cleanse us, put us justified before God. And it's also going to compel us to lives of confessing our sin and seeking to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ and trusting in His graciousness and trusting in His provision. So, where do you have a hard time trusting the Lord in your life? What is it in your life that, that, that you just, yeah, well, I'm going to take care of that. I got, I got that. You can have this over here, um, but, but I'm going to take care of that. And we, we have some kind of identity issues. Um, we find our identity in, in so many different things other than Jesus. And so also think about where does your identity lie? Youth, we've, we've talked about this. we've talked about this a lot. Like where, where does your identity lie? Does it, does it lie in being, uh, being the, the cool, popular person at school? Does your identity lie in in, in being the one who's, who's definitely going to make all A's? That's you. Or you're going to be really good at sports? Now, this applies much further on too, doesn't it? Adults in the room, where does your identity lie? What does it lie in? Does it lie in you being so needed at work That you've got got to be there all the time. You can't sacrifice any time away from work. No, 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 no. Because they need me. And if I'm not there, it's not going to get done right, and I'm going to have to go back, and I'm going to have to do it over again. Where do we find our identity? Maybe you're here, and you're having a really hard time trusting the Lord with your finances. Maybe you're here, and you have a hard time trusting the Lord in your work. Oftentimes we we find our identity in being different than everyone else as Christians, don't we? Have we become so proud of being Christians that we've forgotten where we would be without Jesus? The loving sacrifice of Christ should continually show us our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. So what are the areas in your life where you need to confess to Jesus, I've not really trusted you in this? I'm finding my identity in something else other than you. And to build off of that, and to build off of what what Richard talked about last week, if you guys were here, do you have people in your life that you're willing to let in that can call you to account on those things, that know the struggles that you have? You see, because the gospel doesn't call us to live it out there on our own. The gospel calls us to live in community with one another too. And the gospel gives us the freedom to be honest with people about who we are and where we struggle without judgment because we all know we're sinners in need of God's grace. So do you have people in your life that are, willing, that are willing to challenge you in those areas? That know those intimate things about you and are willing to say to you, Hey man, I see you not resting over here. I see you constantly again and again. And you, just, you just don't stop. You need to take some time You need to rest Now confessing our sins And, and placing our trust in the Lord Is a, is a pattern and what, and what that does Hanging on the truth Of verses 1 and 2 That Jesus loved us to the very end that that's, the, that's the truth claim That all this is hanging on It also should spur us on To serve one another to love one another in in service. And we see this as Jesus humbles himself and performs the task of a menial servant in washing the feet of the disciples. In our passage, Jesus tells the disciples, if your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. As we've already established, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is it's a foreshadowing of what He's going to do on the cross. It, it, it takes the place of our filthy sin and it gives us His righteousness in place of that. And His death on the cross is also an example of a sacrifice for us to follow. To lay down our lives for one another as Christ has laid down His life for His people, for His children, for His church. Jesus commends us here that we ought to wash one another's feet. The mercy of God and the atoning sacrifice of Christ can compels us to want to serve one another. To want to love one another. The Holy Spirit spurs us on to serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, we should be doing that. We should be doing those things. But another thing that I want us to notice about this passage as well too is that it not only spurs us on to serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, we also notice that Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, too. Verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray Him. And yet He served Him anyways. He stooped down and He washed His feet as well. He not only calls us to serve one another, I think we can be really good about that. Though, oftentimes I think we need work in that area too. He calls us to serve His and our enemies too. You see, in the passage we must realize that We too were once enemies of God. We too stood as enemies of God. And it was the service of someone else in the name of Jesus Christ that showed us God's mercy and His grace through His finished work, through His work on the cross. It was someone else that told us about who Jesus was and what He has done when we were yet still enemies of God It was someone else that served us in that capacity. And we're called to do the same thing. Therefore, we should be compelled by the service of Christ here that that we see in this example to recognize the great depths of our own salvation. And I want to share share that even with our enemies. Even with the, the ones that we think are the most unlovable. one of my professors uh, from seminary uh, in the first class I took with him he told us a story of how how his father uh, came to Christ and his father came to Christ after after he did and and his father had spent much of his lifetime as a practicing communist and and Marxist uh, in England and he'd never really put much stock in the existence of God well when my professor was in college, um, he tells a story of kind of coming to grips with his own reality of of God um, to the point where he was contemplating um, he was contemplating taking his own life because he just didn't see the he, he didn't see the meaning of it all. If there wasn't something out there that was better than what he was going through, then what's the meaning of all of this? And and through through a series of friends coming into his own life. Um, and showing him the gospel he, he came to know the Lord And it was kind of a radical change in his life He, he, did, a, he did a 180 um, And was just going in, in, in the opposite direction And he so wanted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ This gospel that had changed his life so much And had given him hope to his father And he went home and he shared the truth Of the good news of the gospel and Jesus with his dad and his dad just kind of looked at him like, that's foolishness, son. That's, nah. I don't need to believe that. And my professor, uh, time and time and time again, he, um, he, spent, he spent a lot of time at home um, going back to, to his father. Uh, taking care of his uh, of his garden, pruning it, spending time with his dad, um, sharing meals with his dad, with his dad and his mom, and um, doing this over the course of about twenty years. And and his dad still still just wasn't wasn't budging on, on the whole thing. When well, his dad got older and he was uh, getting he was getting pretty close to, to passing away. And um, one evening he in, he informed uh, he informed my professor that he had recognized his own sinfulness and his own need for Jesus and and had confessed that he had been re- in rebellion against God and that that he wanted to stop being in rebellion against God and he wanted to run to God instead of running from god and you know and it was that Act of service over the better part of twenty years of a son coming to his dad and sharing the hope for the gospel of Jesus with him, in hopes that his dad would believe that. That compelled him, though his dad was an enemy, he went to his dad and he shared the gospel with him, and ultimately the Lord broke down those barriers and he brought him to Jesus. It was the pursuit and love of His Son. God used that in His life to bring Him just before passing on to bring Him to the truth of the Gospel, the hope of the Gospel in Jesus Christ. I want us to look back at verse 12 real quick. When Jesus is finished washing the feet of the disciples, he asks them this question. Do you understand what I've done to you? The question is very thought-provoking. Imagine you're one of the disciples there. Imagine you're one of the ones that are, that are sitting in there, in that upper room with Jesus, just before Jesus is a, he's about to turn his face toward the cross, and he's going to go and die a horrible, horrible death. Imagine you're one of them that's sitting there with him. What are you thinking when Jesus proposes this question? What Jesus has done here doesn't make any sense in the culture. He's their teacher, he's their leader, and yet he's stooping to do do an act of service of the lowliest of servants to wash their feet. Why would the teacher and Lord wash the feet of the students? With this question, Jesus pierces the depths of of the hearts of his disciples, and he pierces the depths of our heart too. To consider, to consider the great depths to which he went, that we might be saved through him. Why would the Lord of Glory come and die for you? Why would He come and die for me? What does it say about Jesus and who He is that He would humble Himself and take the place of a servant? And go to the cross and take mine and your sin. Place it upon himself so that we might have a relationship with the living God. That we might have hope in the midst of all of this. And it should spur us on to show our love toward one another. To show that love that's been given to us, to one another, and even to the enemies of God. So where have you failed to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ in response to this ultimate sacrifice that's been done for you and for me? Is your time just too important to have someone over for a meal? To go and help someone cut the grass in their yard? Josiah, you don't have to help me come cut my grass. is your, is your is your money too important to give to a ministry that's just scratching tooth and nail to make it by to give to the work of the kingdom do you spend so much time filling up your schedule with tasks that you fail to take out time to serve and show the love of Christ to one another to your children to your spouse to your brothers to your sisters. The ultimate sacrificial work of Christ on the cross shows us our sin and our need to confess it. It shows us the places where we don't really trust in the Lord. It shows us that we should desire to to serve and to love one another and even to serve and love the enemies of God And and it shows us that we should desire to be conformed more to the image of Christ and the powerful work of of sanctification by the Holy Spirit, growing us more and more and more into Jesus' image. Is the gospel compelling you to do those things? If it's not, has your heart really been pierced by the truth of the finished work of Jesus? If you don't find yourself compelled to do those things, you need to consider whether or not you've really, truly Embrace the truth of the cross. God loved us so much that He sent His Son to pay the price for our sin. To bring us back to God and conform us more and more to His image daily. What, what an enormously freeing truth that God loves us that much. And if we're loved that much by Him... How can we not confess our sins, trust in Him, and serve one another? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for, for Your Word, the, the truth that it speaks to us, of, of the, the great sacrifice that paid the price for our sins on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice. Father, leaving leaving perfection with you and coming to dwell with sinners and giving up his life for us. Lord, help us to be a people that would be that would be willing to sacrifice our life, sacrifice our time, sacrifice our money, that that the world may know the truth and the hope of the gospel in your Son Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.